0: Hey, welcome to Park Community Church here in South Rogers Park. My name is Jamie Borchick. I'm part of the teaching team here. It's great to have you with us if you're just joining us. Um, Hey, happy new year as well. Uh, It is now officially 2020. So uh, on behalf of all corny pastors everywhere, you're going to get some 2020 vision this morning. Okay? So that's your first cheesy 2020 joke of the year. But here at Park Community Church, this is Vision Sunday. And if you are new to Park, you may not know that uh, uh, Park is right here at Sullivan, if South Rogers Park is the only place you've ever been, we're part of a family of churches across the city. Um, a family of churches that meets under the banner of Park Community Church in 10 different locations and 10 different neighborhoods all around the city every Sunday morning. And uh, while each of those locations reflects the unique context of its neighborhood and, and its space, we all share a common heart and a common vision here in the city. And this morning at each of those gatherings all around the city, we're taking some time to talk through our common vision as a church. So in a moment, uh, I'm going to put up our church-wide vision statement and we'll talk through it. And this is going to be a team effort today. So uh, when I finish, I'm going to drop the mic quite literally to Jason. And he's going to come up and then Phil's going to come up after him to kind of bring things home. But a uh, team effort today. And if you've got a Bible, you can turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Um, we're going to read verses 17-21. through 21. And uh, this being Vision Sunday, we're not necessarily going to teach through this passage, but this is going to be kind of an anchor point for us. Uh, this text really hits on some of the major themes and, and the key elements of our vision statements. We're going to use it as an anchor for a lot of what we're saying this morning. So would you read with me, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17-21. through 21. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him who knew no sin to be sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Father, as we uh, talk through our vision statement this morning, as we touch on this text, I pray that you'd speak to us, that you would stir our hearts with worship for you. And with uh, excitement, with zeal, with motivation to go after the mission that you've called us to here in the city. Would you speak now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So what is our vision at Park Community Church? Well, here it is. We exist to be a biblical community. Where the gospel of Jesus Christ transforms lives, renews the city, and impacts the world. We exist to be a biblical community where the gospel of Jesus Christ transforms lives, renews the city, and impacts the world. That's our vision. That's why we exist as a church community. And we're going to focus most of our time this morning on the three verbs in the last half of that statement. But before we get there, I want to take a few minutes to talk through the first half of it and, and draw your attention to three key words and phrases in that first half of the vision statement. The First one is We. We. We is the part of our vision that brings us all together. We is 10 different locations in 10 very different places all over the city. We includes you and me and all of us here today and some 3,000 other folks meeting in places like school auditoriums and school gymnasiums, a converted warehouse, an art gallery, a retirement home, and even in people's living rooms. We is Park Community Church in all its different expressions all over the city of Chicago. Second, biblical community. Biblical community. Some of you all belong to PTA groups, uh, book clubs, neighborhood associations, and as of this week, fitness clubs. Yeah, new year, new you, anybody? Yeah, getting on that fitness kick for a few weeks. Great idea. We belong to all sorts of communities, right? This is not what that is. We exist to be a biblical community. This is not just any community. It's a biblical community. We exist to be a community that is shaped by the word of God in every way. A people who take our cues from scripture and who are bound together by what God says in his word. A biblical community. And then third. The gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ. You'll notice that the gospel is the active agent in this vision statement. It is the gospel that is at the center of us and at the center of our community. So if you're here today and you're not familiar with the gospel, the word itself means good news. And the simplest way that I can explain that news today is through verse 21 in the text we read a moment ago. Check it out. Paul writes, For our sake, He, God, made Him, Jesus, To be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The good news is that though we have all sinned, we have all turned our backs on God. We have walked away from God. God has done something to fix it. For our sake, because God loves us, he sent Jesus, the perfect son of God, who never sinned, who knew no sin. God sent Jesus to take on all of our sin, all of our wrongdoing, our failure, our evil, the bad stuff that we do. Jesus took all of that for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Paul says Jesus did that so much so in this text that Jesus became sin. He might be sin so that we might be the righteousness of God. In other words, the good news is that Jesus came to take our place so that we could take his place. He took our sin upon himself so that we could take his righteousness. He took the punishment, the death penalty that we deserved so that we could have the the righteous life and the eternal life that only he rightly deserves. That's the good news of the gospel. That's what Christ did for us. And here at Park Community Church, that gospel is at the center of everything that we do. It's at the center of everything we do. If you've been coming here for a while, you may have noticed that there is never a week that goes by where we don't in one way or another talk about Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross on our behalf. That is not by accident. That is by design. So in every sermon, we preach the gospel. In every service, we proclaim the gospel. We talk about it all the time in everything we do because it is only the gospel that can do the things that we are trusting God to do. It is only the good news that is going to transform lives, renew the city, and impact the world. So the gospel is at the center of it all. That's the good news. Okay. So that's the first half of our vision statement. Now, in the second half, we see these three major things that we are trusting God to do through that gospel. And the first one is transform lives. Transform lives. Look at verse 17. Paul writes, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. What happens when you believe the gospel, when you put your trust in Christ, is you become a new creation. The old you dies and goes away. And a new you comes into being. So this takes that whole new year, new you thing to a whole different kind of level, right? What the gospel does is it transforms you in a way that no workout routine or diet plan or New Year's resolution can even come close to. Elsewhere, the New Testament, it describes this reality uh, with the Greek word metamorpho. Sounds like uh, our English word metamorphosis. And that's where we get the word metamorphosis from. Believers in Christ experience a metamorphosis. It's like when the caterpillar Becomes the butterfly. Right? Think about that metamorphosis. Inside the cocoon, the the caterpillar literally dissolves into this kind of soup thing. And then magically, somehow from that, it reforms from liquid into a butterfly. So this old kind of ugly, squirmy thing dissolves and disappears and goes away. And then emerging from that cocoon comes this beautiful thing with color and wings and life. Y'all, that is crazy. But if you are a believer in Christ today, then crazy is your reality. Right? You are the butterfly. You are the new creation. If you have put your faith in Christ, the old you has passed away. And behold, the new you has come. Crazy is your reality. You've been transformed. You are the new creation. Now as I say that, I know that in real life, in the Christian life, sometimes that reality is easy to forget. I think for lots of believers, as we journey along in this Christian life, and we get farther and farther away from the cocoon. It gets easier and easier to forget the caterpillar that we used to be. The Christian life begins to feel normal. And you just kind of forget what it was like when you woke up for the first time with wings and could fly. And then there are some of us here today. Who you grew up in Christian families where you honestly don't remember a day where you were not, uh, where you you were a caterpillar. Like You just don't have a real recollection of that even. And you read a verse like 2 Corinthians 5.17. And you hear a vision statement about the gospel transforming lives. And you can feel this kind of weird sort of shame for not having a more dramatic conversion story. Like you secretly wish that you had a a story like Pastor Jason's. Where where filled with drugs and guns and lots of drama. Like you want that story. (laughs) Kind of sick. But you want that, right? If any of that speaks to you today. Let me encourage you with a couple thoughts. First of all, if you've got a super boring testimony, then you have the testimony I pray my kids will have. Right? Like that's a good thing. It means that God has spared you from all kinds of hurt and pain and destruction in your life. Praise God that your caterpillar phase was really short. And then second. Sometimes when I feel stuck or I lose sight of God's work in my life, it helps me to think through what I call my anti-testimony. My anti-testimony. Like where would I be today if God hadn't intersected my life some 15 years ago? Where would I be today if Christ hadn't intervened? I know the stuff that I was doing then. And I know the trajectory that my life was on. And so I can pretty easily forecast where I'd be today if God hadn't intervened. And what I know is that it would likely involve lots of women, lots of prideful boasting, lots of trying to prove myself through my achievements but feeling really insecure when I'd fail, and then lots of seeking satisfaction and significance in my accomplishments. And I can guarantee you I would not be standing up here talking to you today. But y'all, I'm not that caterpillar anymore. I'm a new creation. And by God's grace, I've flown a long way from there. And if you are a believer in Christ here today, then so have you. What is your anti-testimony? Where would you be today if God hadn't intervened in your life? Where would you be today apart from Christ? Today, take some time to remember the caterpillar you were and the butterfly that God has made you to be. And wherever you're at on your spiritual journey today... Whether this is your first time stepping into a church day. You made a New Year's resolution and decided to come to church today for the first time. If that's you or or, or whether you've been a believer for a long time but you just kind of feel stuck. Feel like the transformation process has halted and there's no more metamorphosizing happening. Or, or, Or whether you're flying high and you're feeling great. Wherever you're at on your spiritual journey. Know today that we want to help you experience the transforming power of the gospel. We believe that the gospel transforms lives. And so we want to be as a church a sort of cocoon in the world where that transformation can happen. We want to wrap our gospel arms around you and love you and walk alongside you to help you to grow in a transforming relationship with God. So wherever you're at on your spiritual journey, whatever your background is, whatever kind of caterpillar you were or are, you are welcome here. And we hope that you encounter the transforming power of God in our presence. Now as I say all that, This vision, y'all, it is not just for those of us here in this room. This vision is to see the gospel transform lives everywhere. In our neighborhoods, in our offices, on the assembly line where we work, in our classrooms, at our dining room tables. This vision is for everyone everywhere. Because when you experience the transforming power that God offers you in Christ, the most natural thing in the world is to go and then share that with everyone you can. Look at verse 18. Paul writes, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And as verse 20 puts it, then, he makes us his ambassadors. An ambassador is a representative sent out to speak to another nation on behalf of his home country. And that's exactly what God does with us. When he makes us into butterflies, we get wings, not so that we can go and just give each other some epic kind of high fives, but so that we can fly. So we can fly out on the mission that he sent us on. And that mission is to take his transforming good news to everyone everywhere. So if you're a believer in Christ here today, you are not in the places where you are by accident. God has sovereignly and strategically placed you in your apartment building. At your gym, in your cubicle, at that coffee shop, in your classroom, in all the places where you go and you do life so that you can go and be an instrument of gospel spreading everywhere you fly. That's why you're there. The gospel of Jesus Christ transforms lives. And may God use us to spread that message far and wide so that more and more people in our neighborhood, in our city, and the whole world can encounter His transforming power. And with that, I'm going to drop the mic to Jay.
1: That high five and that chest bump, we actually do that a lot more than many of you realize, actually, (laughs) on the basketball court. It's 2020, everybody. What up, baby? Here we go. We exist to be a biblical community where the gospel of Jesus Christ transforms lives and renews the city. Did you know that the word city is mentioned over 700 times in the Bible? And that's just a word, not mentioning the actual names of the cities themselves, which number in the several thousands. I mean, so much of redemptive history takes place in the city that it's often easy to overlook and even to do so willingly because in the beginning, cities aren't necessarily painted against the backdrop of bright lights. In Genesis 4, you have Cain, after murdering his brother Abel, journeys out and he builds the first city of Enoch. And things don't go so great after that as seven chapters later in Genesis chapter 11 a famous tower is built in the city of Babel. And it's the ultimate shake your fist at God architectural achievement. In Genesis 18 and 19 the city of Sodom is described as as being so debauched that God eventually brings judgment on it. Unlike his nephew Lot even the spiritually stumbling patriarch Abraham knew to stay out of there. And if you just stopped at that point and made your case for the city in the Bible, you'd probably agree with my farmer friend in Michigan who recently just returned from a trip to the big city and he ranted on social media and he said this. I cannot understand for one minute how anyone could love city life. Rush, rush, rush. Noise. Smells. Smells. (laughs) smells <laughs> Have you ever driven by a farm? <laughs> Violence, no space to call your home your own, no backyard. Need I go on? I got a whole bunch of stuff for that in the holster. You guys don't even understand. I got all sorts of comebacks. But as you continue to read the storyline of scripture, that is the other 65 books of the Bible, you see that the city is a very important place where God seeks to show his glory and to make himself known to all the people. All the people. All the people who are gathered there together, even if there's a lot of bad people living in it. God commands Jonah in the book bearing his name in verse 1 Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, for its wickedness have, has come up before me. Now, why would you preach against wickedness or call out sin in others? It's not really necessarily a negative thing, right? It's to offer repentance and a renewal in the relationship. But Nineveh, come on, God. Those people are despicable. They've killed your people, they're very liberal in the lifestyle. They're, They shoot each other, the traffic is bad, and city hall is corrupt. Well, after a revival broke out through the reluctant prophet's preaching, in the last verse of the book, God's heart for the city beats fast. And he says to Jonah, Jonah... Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who do not know their right hand from their left hand. In other words, they are spiritually ignorant. And they got a lot of cattle there as well. What's that all about? They have a thriving economy which affects the lives of those around it. Jonah, should I not be concerned for that great city? While God's people are in exile in the city... Of Babylon in Jeremiah 29, God says to his people, Don't stay on the outskirts of the city in your, old, in your little holy huddles and your cuddles, but go into the city and seek its peace. Be all in. We just came off Christmas. Incarnate yourself, be where they're at, feel what they feel, suffer what they suffer. Give credibility to the gospel by picking up your cross and being an ambassador and pray continually for it because if it prospers, then you're going to prosper too. In Luke 13, Jesus cries out for the city of Jerusalem who is hard-hearted in their response towards his gracious, humble, and his healing kingship. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. You who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather you together just as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. Throughout Acts, cities are the basis of the Apostle Paul's missional strategy to the nations. And a note on Acts. Chapter 2 is probably the most popular chapter in Acts. You know, where much is said about the inner life of the church. Where all the believers were together and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the Fellowship, into the breaking of bread and the prayers. All good. All good in the inner life of the church. Those things are constantly going on. All great. But Acts is predominantly about movement. Holy Spirit movement. Going and making disciples and planting churches. Movement. Remember, God broke that Acts 2 congregation up through a persecution so things could really take off. And talking about things taking off, someone took this really serious. If you put it all together throughout Acts, the Apostle Paul's connected to some 60 cities throughout nine Roman provinces in the empire, and he planted just over 20 churches by himself, and not counting the ones planted by his apprentices. Wherever Paul lands in the world of Acts, or whatever, wherever I. Or I should say, wherever the gospel lands, that's truly empowered by the Holy Spirit in a city, it's movement out. And we cannot forget as we close out our very brief theology of the city. That although we start in the Garden of Eden, our future hope at the consummation of all things is that we're going to end up in a city. The new Jerusalem and the new heavens and the new earth. Revelation 21, where God himself will dwell with us forever. The city is everywhere in the Bible. And we have to have a deep and rugged and never giving up theology of the city so that we are grounded in our calling to the city. Because the city is challenging. God's straight about this, so that means we're going to be straight about it too. God knows that since lots of people live in cities, it's not first, as the great theologian P. Diddy says, more money, more problems. But it's more people, more problems. Because we've got a volume of people and sinners issue. And those cities where Paul's connected to is where who he writes his letters to. There the churches in Thessalonica and Philippi, Ephesus, Rome, and in our passage today, Corinth. Biblical and and historical scholars are in agreement that Corinth was quite the place. It was a thriving seaport with many people coming in and out of it. And much much like Las Vegas today, it had a blatant reputation for immorality. And it attracted all sorts of adventurers and pleasure seekers and swindlers. Many retired veterans from the Roman military were stationed there, along with many of Rome's past undesirables who Julius Caesar had sent there 100 years prior to occupy the city. One scholar said that it was the most licentious city in all of Greece as the temple of Aphrodite had more than 1,000 sex slaves ready for the service of strangers. And we aren't even talking about all the wild and talking about crazy Religious pluralism that engulfed the city. That's not the place where Christians should be. And yet, there Paul goes into the city. And he deals with a whole lot of issues in Corinth. You get that by reading both of Paul's letters to the church there in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. I mean, it takes him 29 chapters, making it the largest composition in the New Testament to deal with the problems there. There's competition, jealousy, and status-seeking among the leadership. We're back in 8th grade. There's someone taking another to court. There's a son having a relationship with his stepmom. There's quarrels about who has the greater spiritual gifts. And there's a group of people who are even, seek, even seeking to discredit Paul's ministry. Thank you, Corinth. How encouraging are you? And that's just the issues inside the church. Now, outside the church, it's interesting that in Acts chapter 18, after Paul got beaten up and run out of a few cities before coming there, He's a little nervous because some of the religious leaders in Corinth started opposing his preaching there. And I can imagine it conjures up a lot of fears because what's going to happen to him in that city because he just got beat up in those other cities. And if you've ever gotten jumped, after you get jumped a few times, you get a little worried about, man, what's going to happen next? That hurts. The Lord Jesus himself has to calm him down. As he gives him a vision, vision and he says to him, Paul... Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not remain silent. For I am with you. And no one is going to attack and harm you. For I have many people in this city. And we believe that God has many people he's calling to himself in our city too. And that's why we're committed to its renewal. Because a city is a lot of things. It's buildings, it's streets, it's systems and structures, it's entertainment, it's food, and it's pace. But a city is first and foremost it's people. Precious, image-bearing people of incalculable worth. Those that are under the bridges near uptown. Those that are forgotten about. On the far west side and deep, deep south side, down 130th, Altgeld Gardens. Precious people gifted with many resources downtown who are just far from God. They don't know it because they think they have it all, but they don't. In need of Christ. People in our neighborhood. Precious, image-bearing people of incalculable worth whom God has called us to reach. Lots happening in the city these days. Did you know that the first time in the history of the world, over half of the world's population now live in cities? This is just going back to my urban ministry stuff. This is good. Uh, Roger Greenway and Ray Bakke and Manuel Ortiz. You Man, these are the real, these are the. And that every month five million people are moving into the cities of the world. Five million, almost two Chicagos every month. Cities are where new ideas come from and which shape the way people think. It's where government education, the arts, finance, and culture are most influential, which means that's where the gospel can have the most influence. If we want to reach the next generation, and not just only our children as the next generation, then we have to be in the city because that's where younger people are coming for school, it's where they're coming for their first job, and it's where they're coming to find opportunity. If you want to reach the poor, orphans, Widows and immigrants, the big four who are all a big deal in God's mission throughout scripture, that's where most of them are. If I have one goal today, that when you read the scriptures, you see city everywhere everywhere. And you see a bunch of people and you really see those people. Because that's where most of them are in the city. Speaking of immigrants, did you know that the U.S. has the third largest population of unreached people groups in the world here? Those who previously did not have access to the gospel. Well, they do now in Chicago. And we're going to be faithful to that. So my challenge to you this morning is not to, my challenge to you is three things, four things. I'm pretty good on time. (laughs) My challenge to you is four things this morning before I have a little conclusion, maybe longer conclusion. My challenge to you this morning is not to assimilate to the city. Don't just use it as what Professor Edward Glacier, professor of economics at Harvard says, don't use it as an urban theme park just to consume all of its delights. Or to use it to make a name for yourself or your ministry. My challenge to you this morning is not to withdraw from the city, from all the noise, the smells, the chocolate smell. traffic, the dogs. Did you guys know when, you know, I do runs in Round Rogers Park, it's a little different than it is in Lincoln Park, right? There's like the chihuahuas are down there. So it's not as dangerous. Here it's the pit bulls. Seriously. I think the last run I did, I encountered three pit bulls on my run around the neighborhood. little different. Don't withdraw. Do not have the attitude of, I don't want to have any, anything to do with that stuff or those people. My third challenge to you is to not be indifferent to the city. Don't assimilate. Don't withdraw. And just don't be indifferent to it. Just being here for a season and going to church maybe twice a month. While you wait to graduate from college, get a promotion at work so you can finally buy a house that has a backyard. That's not what you really want deep down in your soul if the Holy Spirit is at work in your life. Is that on that day when you are called to the city, you withdrew from the city for the backyard that will not get heaven's attention. My final challenge to you and to me is for us to be loving ambassadors of this great city that God has sent us to in order to be a city within a city, a city on a hill which cannot be hidden. If we are chasing after something, let's chase after that. The city, Chicago, The Windy City, the Second City, the City on the Make, the City with Big Shoulders, Chi-Town, the 312, is why seven years ago, a core group of 23 people from Park moved north to one of the most diverse and unique neighborhoods, not only in our city, but also in the country. Some of you are still here where you stand. Some of you know who you are, Johnny, Joe, Jansen, Nikki, please stand. Jason Yeager, Sam, stand, please. Jess. (laughs) Some of them are working in in the children's ministry. That's how you do it. They move north, even though their commute to work would be a little longer in order to be ambassadors to share this life-transforming message of the gospel with those in this under-church and underserved community. This is why we gather together on Sunday mornings and in our homes, in coffee shops, and libraries, and parks all throughout the week. This is why we do life together as a church all week long. This is why Park has become multiple churches, what Jamie talked about. And why by God's grace, you can be sure it's by God's grace, we at South Rogers Park have helped launch works and revitalize Help revitalize works in North Rogers Park and West Rogers Park and Breakers. This is why we help plant and support and pray for other local churches every single week. There's dots on the screen of the map of churches that we've had a little bit of part in helping to plant all throughout the city. This is why we send volunteers and give financially to ministries and organizations that are seeking to do good. This is why we do the soccer camp, annual book drive, and giving tree. This is why we serve deeply at our local schools. This is why we go out and have spiritual conversations at the Red Line stops. This is why we have prayer gatherings in all sorts of different places all throughout the week. It would be good to see some of you at some of those. This is why many of us have bought homes to put down gospel roots in this neighborhood so we could love our neighbors as ourselves. For John and Alicia from Poland next to me, from Bill and Carol, from Japan on the other side of us. To Tupton and Tetson from Thailand on the next house over. And from Priscilla and David from India and our final house in our little building. We got a backyard, it's like a 10 by 10 space. And to Tony just across the fence from Israel. all for the renewal of the city to show glimpses of the glorious city to come.
2: Archers Park, the mission of the church is beautiful. It is all-encompassing. It is consuming. It's worthy of our lives. I have the the task of sharing with you, compelling you to believe in the final part of the vision statement of park that we exist to be a biblical community where the gospel of Jesus Christ transforms lives, renews the city, and impacts the world. Early on in, uh, I love that we all preach so differently. (laughs) I love it. Early on in the Lord of the Rings... (laughs) There is a little hobbit called Frodo. He has been chosen and he's been given a a treasure, a treasure of great power, a ring. And he he knows he is called outwards. He's called to go. He's called to leave his home head towards the horizon. He's not sure where his journey is going to lead him or where the ring is gonna lead him, but he knows there is a purpose for his life that he will miss if he doesn't go. So he asks the wizard Gandalf the Grey, where should I go? What direction should I take? And Gandalf says to Frodo, what I know is very little, but go, go towards danger. Go towards danger in second corinthians chapter one to six the apostle paul he he mentions danger numerous times in chapter one verse eight he says we don't want to you to be unaware brothers writing to the church in corinth of the affliction that we experienced in asia for we were utterly burdened beyond strength that we despaired of life itself. Chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, we are afflicted in every way, perplexed, persecuted, struck dying. Chapter 6, 4 to 5, he says, we command ourselves in every way be great endurance, and afflictions, and hardships, and calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. Gandalf, which way should we go? Go towards danger. Paul mentions these struggles to encourage the church in Corinth in this pivotal, influential city surrounded by the first century world. And he's reminding them that we're afflicted, but not crushed. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. But he also mentions these struggles to, to demonstrate a humility, to demonstrate a kind of weakness That would lead to solidarity with his readers that have begun to lose trust in him. He's gaining their trust by making sure that they see his personal transformation gives credibility to the gospel that he preaches. He wants them to see. He wants them to see that the gospel makes us radically new. Radically pursuant of Christ radically pursuant of the glory of God radically pursuant of a mystery hidden from the eyes of the world I recently read a book called a pilgrimage to eternity by a guy called Timothy Egan he writes for the New York Times his book is it's about his journey a pilgrimage through Europe he walks for three months in pursuit of God he goes to ancient churches and he studies the scenes and he listens to stories along the way. And he's so close. He's right there. He, he could be right here listening in. But you get to the end of the book and his eyes were never opened. He, he sees the church. He hears the hymns being sung. He listens to the sermons. He could be right here but not really seeing it. When the caterpillar that Jimmy mentioned dissolves into that cocoon and then reforms itself into a butterfly, and then the butterfly, it wiggles its way out, not only does it change color and and form, get those wings, but it has gained new eyesight. It gains new vision. Because a little wiggly caterpillar, they can only see in, 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 in kind of uh, dark and light. Just blurry dark and light. While butterflies, they can not only see in full color, but they can see, in ult- see ultraviolet light. They see patterns covering our world that we can't even see. The National Geographic says complete metamorphosis partitions, caterpillars, and butterflies into completely different worlds. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Roger Spark, new creations gain new eyesight. Different from your past, different from your colleagues, different from your neighbors, different from your friends. Being a new creation in Christ means getting an expanded vision of the world to see what could not be seen before. Because being a new creation in Christ means that in Christ we begin to see the world through his eyes. Those eyes. Those eyes that gazed down from the cross and up searching for his father. Those eyes that opened in the tomb. Those eyes that rose in the clouds. As we grow in Christ-likeness, our eyesight aligns with his and we see the world more truly in higher definition, framed within the story of which it really is. And this is how it goes. When the Holy Spirit illuminates our hearts to the truth of the gospel, our eyes are irresistibly open to the beauty of God, to his wonder, to his wildness, to his worth. Missions doesn't start with people. Missions starts with our eyes being opened to God, being compelled and drawn out towards his glory. And then when we turn our eyes towards the world, and the people of the world, our hearts well up telling us that he is worthy of it all. Psalm 47 verse 2, for the Lord, the most high is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. Every mountain range is his, every sunset speaks of him, every person is made in his image, made to flourish under his rule and under his reign. And today, as we look out in the world, we see a pattern covering the world that we could not see before. As God is redeeming a people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation in the cafes of, of Europe. In the homes of China and Iran, in the mega churches of South Korea, in the basements of North Korea, beside the temples in India, under trees and in hotels in Africa, in high schools in Chicago. The church is not man made, it's man broken, but it grows where the spirit blows and it is eternally secure. And South Rogers Park, it is beautiful. Don't settle. not seeing the beauty of the global church it is literally a joy that is set before us and the followers of christ from around the world that are part of our church family here in rogers park they will feel your joy celebrating a global church thriving with representation from all over the world doesn't distract us from our mission, it compels us into the mission. Where God is reconciling humanity to himself, forming a unity in Christ across color and creed and culture and class and country. But it's the beauty that also highlights the darkness. Despite the beauty of the global church, there are still millions And millions and millions and millions of people in vast areas of the world living and dying in hard-to-reach places of our world without any reasonable, without any reasonable way of hearing the gospel message, humanity's only hope. we are called into a dangerous story where much is at stake. People's souls are at stake. And no matter how loud we sing, no matter how loud we preach on a Sunday morning, they can't hear us. So we take the burden on ourselves and we go to where they can hear us. That's why we sent and support Amy and Michelle in Indonesia. That's why Jay and Lee went and visited. Justin and Lee, Justin and Anna Lee in North Africa, Matt and Emily in China, Tad and Carly in Malawi, and numerous others sent out from our location. That's why we're sending, as you see on the video, sending out the Park 100. It's why Jackson, our former pastor, and Donna, his wife, are moving to Turkey. It's why we're not forgetting the nations over in West Rogers Park, because we are the ambassadors of Christ. We're the ambassadors of his kingdom. In Carnes. To be an ambassador was a little different to what we think of today. In the first century, an ambassador wasn't a career diplomat. Being an ambassador came with the responsibility of being part, simply a part of the ruling class. If you're in the ruling class, you might get called up. Anyone within the ruling class could be called at any point to go and present their country to a foreign nation, to speak on behalf of their country, but it was usually seen as a kind of inconvenience to their comfortable lives. And yet Paul sees being an ambassador for Christ very differently. Not as an inconvenience, but as a privilege. 1 Corinthians 5.19 says, God entrusts, he gifts the message of reconciliation to us like a treasure. Verse 20, for God to make his appeal through us. Allowing people to see the eyes of Christ in our eyes. For people to see for the first time those eyes that hung on a cross and opened in the tomb in our eyes. That's the privilege. Christ in us. And so we either go and help in the mission of the global church on the front line? Are we engaged from here through sending, resourcing, caring, praying, visiting, and holding down the force so that this church, so that our church, generates healthy goers that can be sent? The entire church being sent. And the entire church sending. That's how we impact the world. The entire church sent and the entire church sending that's how we impact the world and if you feel god is calling you to lean in and you want to understand more of god's heart for the nations please come up chat at the end go to the deacons on the side brett and Liesl, uh rathcliffe are the the global leaders at south Rogers park find them talk to them also i think tomorrow might be the last day of signing up for perspectives to get the lower price you can sign up after that but you might miss the lower price or you can turn up and get for free the first couple of weeks but please perspective is an incredible way that if your heart is welling up and god is speaking to you and calling you into his global mission and you want to know more and you want a first step go sign up wednesday night through spring will be covered for you and you can be there and learn about what god is doing around the world so to close out vision sunday 2020 We exist as a biblical community where the gospel of Jesus Christ transforms lives, renews the city, and impacts the world. It's hard to cast vision, but also be vulnerable. Because you wanna you wanna get ahead, you wanna push and push and push. Ruth and I have chatted over the years, and we've asked a very simple question: can we skip the danger? At times, I find myself, we find ourselves trying. Can we skip the danger? You know, we, we come from fairly middle-class homes. In some sense, we've got a, a, an access to a certain amount of security in life. Could we, could we be sold out for Jesus and his mission with all the perks of not really selling anything? And I think for a lot of us, that seems logical to attempt if possible. But it doesn't work. It's funny, for the first half of the last decade, Ruth and I were, were missionaries in China, on the board of North Korea, raising a little summer there, a few, mile, a few miles from a hard labor camp, holding some of the families that we worked with second half of 2020 I find myself standing somewhere I never thought I would be in America working amongst people that have moved from around the world in West Rogers Park and Rogers Park something I'm learning along the way when I'm tempted to relax, when I'm tempted to get comfortable is that my faith is at its weakest when I'm not risking anything for what I believe my faith is at its weakest when I'm not risking anything for Christ. If we want a strong and abiding relationship with Jesus, we can't skip the risks. We can't skip the danger. That's where He meets us. Playing it safe with our lives might be good for our bank balances, but it will do little for our souls. Playing it safe with our lives might be good for our comfort, but it will do little for our souls. And we will know when we're sold out for Christ when we sense the danger. A pursuit of Christ leads us out towards danger. That's where our faith is proven, that's where our faith is embodied, and that's where our faith is deemed real. And that, Park Community Church, is where Christ is gained. So where is God leading you? Where is God calling you out to receive more of himself? Is it in regards to your time, your finances, your job, your commitment to the local church and its mission as to what country you're going to live in? How is God calling you out? A pursuit of Christ leads us out towards danger. That's where our faith is proven and embodied and deemed real. It's my son. (laughs) Hey boy. (laughs) So I'll close. How is God calling you out? Rogers Park, South RP, it is in your stretching. We have the privilege of standing up here and watching you guys do what you do. It's in your stretching and your volunteering in E3 and covering for one another. It's in your generosity and your giving and in the opening up of your homes and in the sending out, you sending out missionaries. You sparing on new works in North Rogers Park, in Breakers, in West Rogers Park. Church, a pursuit of Christ is leading us out those doors. And if it feels risky, good because that's where we find him let's pray god we thank you that you by no means leave us meaningless god you give us a deep 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 sense of purpose god you bring us in on your mission of reconciling yourself to the world, to drawing people to yourself, of creating a people from every tribe and tongue and nation in Chicago and around the world. And God, we get to go and we get, let people get to see your eyes in ours. We get to see the world through your eyes. God, would your spirit continue to work in us? God, may we never be fooled by comfort. God, may we never be fooled by sitting back and relaxing as if somehow we're going to meet Christ there. God, help us to push out. Help us to push on, God. And we trust and know, God, that we will grow in a relationship with you. And in you, God, we will have all we need. In Jesus' name.